Welcome to episode 27 of the Listing Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Joanna Stith. Joanna has been working with children with hearing loss and their families for over 25 years. She currently lives in Broomfield, Colorado, and has a private practice called Listening for Life, where she provides listening and spoken language therapy for children and adults. She serves as an adjunct professor with the University of Colorado Boulder, is a Listen Foundation therapist, provides early intervention, mentors therapists working towards becoming LISL certified, and facilitates love and logic parenting courses. It is my pleasure to welcome Joanna to the podcast. Joanna, welcome to the podcast. Tell me, tell me more about your background. And, and just as a disclaimer, we do know each other from many years ago in South Carolina, right? Uh, where we both were. So fill in for the listeners uh, your background. Okay. Um, well, Todd, thanks again for um, having me. And I feel really lucky to have gotten to know you many years ago and learned from you and alongside with you at USC. Um, I think I kind of fell into the LISL background a little at a time. I started out um, undergrad at the University of Nebraska um, and was always interested in actually teaching is what I, but I also was interested in speech pathology. Um, as As a child, I had arctic issues. And so got to receive services and it was fun and I wasn't made fun of anymore. Um, And so I think I always had that in my mind of, I was thankful, right? But it was also the speech therapist that I had um, when I was younger was just, it was fun, right? We played games. And um, so it was was a great experience for me. Um, And then once I got into undergrad and started doing a little bit of work with going into the classrooms and student teaching, 
And then I took some communication sciences and disorders classes and then took um, a sign language course because I was very interested in it. Um, actually took like three of them, I think, um, and worked as a waterfront director in Florida um, at Camp Endeavor, where there were only two of us that were hearing and everybody else that was on staff was from Gallaudet or from the surrounding area in Florida um, and got to really work with children with hearing loss and realized that I loved it um, and went to graduate school at UT. And at that time, I was still really pursuing more um, manual um, signing and um, then moved to Charleston. And um, in Charleston, even I was still, I would teach like a beginning sign language course and an intermediate sign language course. Um, so, and started, let's see, I think then I was supervising students from USC mm -hmm. um, that were, um, and then I was able to take classes for um, a really great rate. Um, and so drove up and it was your class actually, that was, I think it was a cochlear implant course where I really learned mm -hmm. more about cochlear implants and what auditory verbal therapy could offer. Um, and realized, you know, I can see so much benefit from this. And so took another class that was auditory verbal therapy and really got kind of hooked and so excited about it to see the, to see just the different impact that you could have and knowing that so many children today, um, who are born with hearing loss are born to hearing parents who really want for their children to have the type of childhood that they had growing up into a listening and spoken language community. Um, and so pursued my PhD and also was able to become a certified auditory verbal therapist um, under your mm -hmm. guidance and all of your help and expertise, which was such a blessing. Um, and kind of got into it that way. But I do remember going to an AG Bell conference um, at first and just thinking, gosh, this, this just isn't, it's so different from what I was doing. And so for those mm -hmm. families that I started teaching sign language to, right, I felt like I did a 180 on them. And, and yet, really felt and, I guess, passionate about that big step, that big change, um, and have loved it ever since all that's all the all the steps that have gone on and have enjoyed enjoyed being able to teach and um, just be a therapist as well and serve on a cochlear implant team when I was there. And um, so that's kind of how it all started, I think, um, a little bit at a time, right? Yeah, I, I seem I seem to recall many years ago, I think maybe you called me at uh, at the Speech and Hearing Center and we talked on the phone about what was going on in the AV program that we had there. Um, and, then I, and then maybe you came up and, and visited or observed or something. And then that started more and more of the conversation between the two of us. And so, right. uh, yeah, that was, that. I remember that all those years ago. Right. Um, seems like yesterday, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and so you become more uh, knowledgeable about listening and spoken language, auditory verbal in Charleston. And you ended up, and so you were at the, is it the speech and hearing center in Charleston? Was that right? Well, um, so I actually was at Trident Medical Trident. Center. Trident, that's right. That's right. right. Um, mm -hmm. And we started, right, 
you and I started collaborating and providing mm-hmm. AV services there. And then um, I switched and went to MUSC where I was able to be on the cochlear implant there and also teach um, at the medical university as well, mm-hmm. just um, a class a semester. Um, and so that's, that was a great opportunity, right? Something that I look back on and absolutely loved being a part of the team and um, just continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. So Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Austin um, and, yep, took a little hiatus, but really still pr- had a private practice. Um, and then we had a family and so um, continued with the private practice throughout and moved to Colorado then 16 years. I can't believe we've been here 16 years. Um, so and have continued with the um, listening for life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And teaching it too, too. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Colorado has such a rich history of auditory verbal practice because, you know, during Pollock was there and, and the, and the, and the, was it the listening center? Yeah. Uh, The the Listen Foundation is actually here with the nonprofit, which, um, the auditory verbal therapists in the area here contract through them. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great, it is a wonderful community, I think, um, that that we all kind of serve into, right? Um, right. The Listen Foundation is a is a wonderful nonprofit that's here that all the Listen therapists contract with too. Yeah, it just it's always had that history, you know, of you know going way back, and and mm-hmm. just and the people that, in a sense, came through uh, the you know, the, the training program there, I was just speaking with someone the other day about, um, actually, uh, Linda Daniel, who was in Texas. Yeah. About her days, uh, back in the day of, of, of being in Denver training with, uh, during Pollock and others and how it was such a rich uh, time for people to come there and spend a week or two or whatever, and be mentored by, some of these pioneers at the time, you know, and that was when it was really sort of out of the, you know, um, out of the norm when, you know, TC was such a, you know, the way we need to just do it, you know, from the seventies and eighties and they were going there and learning from uh, these people and, and then they go off and then they mentor and teach and become the people, you know, that we look up to now. And so uh, she was talking to me about, uh, that experience and how and all those names are people that we would all recognize now, you know, and are are getting close to retirement. So, uh, right. So it's you know it's just that rich history. So it's it's great that you can be a part of that and uh, sort of keep keep that fire burning in that in the whole uh, in Colorado. It is. It's it's great, and to see what Doreen Pollock started, right, and how now it has continue to grow and reach out into so many other areas. Um, and like you said, to see the pioneer. And I think, I think today if Doreen Pollock could see how, how many children are, are um, impacted by what she and Daniel Ling and, you know, or what they started mm-hmm. and how it's just continued to grow and blossom. I think it's really exciting. Just even from when you think back to when, when we first started, right. Sure. What was that? Mm-hmm. How has it changed? Right. It, it, yeah, it's certainly 
much more common now than it ever has been, and it continues to be so. And, um, you know, and it's, you know, people, when you mention AV or listening and spoken language, they, they have a better understanding of what it is and what it means. And certainly parents are, are becoming much more knowledgeable and wanting those kinds of services, which is all very good things. That the only the only area that I, me personally, that I think we need to really continue to work on is our training programs, university programs, because it's still just a handful of universities that have that just so happen to have happen to have faculty that have that background or an interest that right. they end up getting that exposure. And, uh, and so that's, that's the challenge I think we still have is how do we get at the pre-service level more training before the students graduate, you know, they right. get some exposure. I completely agree. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think as early intervention is becoming such a big push, um, I think AVT was all of what early intervention is starting to push that I'm seeing now, right? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is for, for those of us that it, were trained in AV and listening spoken language, it goes so hand in hand with um, what that push of family-centered therapy is, right? It's what we've been doing for years and years, and we know that it really works. And so it's great. But then w- when you have the opportunity to work with students and help them to see, you love this. You love helping um, clients. But really, it's a lot bigger of a picture because it's not just the clients, it's the whole family. And if you can empower the family, you are gold because they now feel um, like they have the confidence to help their child. And that's where you're going to get the best outcomes. But so I think you're right that more and more because um, there are so many children that are being born and so many families that really want to pursue this. um, Mm -hmm that we need more students that have the the background and the ability to provide the services and um, yeah, see it through from the get go. Right. When you get them, when they're little, they're in and out, you know, um, within a few years. So, right. Or shorter sometimes. Very true. And, and even if, you know, some of the uh, current student grad students who, who graduate, you know, in the next you know year or two, even if they don't want to pursue the LISL certification because they have other interests, that's fine. You know, I, I would want that they get exposure and understand that these kids can achieve these things if the right set of uh, uh, circumstances or right professionals are involved and the right services are, are put in place. Uh, these kids can have different outcomes than what we saw, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, so at least that I think they're understanding that. Uh, yeah. and, and maybe that if if they can work on some of those skills and then if they totally feel lost, they can refer to someone else who can right. do it. Right, right. So let's, so you make it to Colorado. And so your private practice, tell me more about your private practice. So um, my private practice is called Listening for Life, and I provide listening and spoken language services um, to families. Um, And I also see adults and geriatric clients, too, after they've received cochlear implants. Usually that's for Mm -hmm. very short periods of time. 
Um, and then through the, um, so then I, and I'm able to provide early intervention services. So I'm part of the um, CHIP program here within Colorado, which provides um, early intervention to children with hearing loss. Um, um, but primarily I see, you know, children come to my home office or we are doing a lot in, uh, through zoom. Right. Um, and you and I have worked together too, at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. gosh, that was probably, I don't know, 12 years ago now, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, that we started, um, doing telehealth or offering telehealth services. And so I also get to see families up in Wyoming as well. Um, because there aren't any listening and spoken language therapists. And so that's what I always tell the students that are coming right. through. You should move to Wyoming. They really <laughs> need <somebody." laughs> Right. Um, and they're wonderful families up there. And mm-hmm. so um, that's pretty much what I, and then um, I have provided love and logic uh, behavioral consultation and also um, trainings. It's been a little bit since I've actually done a training now they have it online as well and so families can sign up just through love and logic too um so talk so for for the listeners who may not be familiar with love and logic what what is love and logic um great question and sorry i didn't (laughs) expand on that so love and logic is um, more of a behavioral or parenting technique on um you know when we're when we're working with kids with hearing loss or without, right, we're trying to figure out how can we raise these kids to be self-sufficient as they get older um, and to be able to make it in this world. That's kind of like what our goal is as parents, right, is to help them be successful and happy and to be able to manage and be contributing citizens in our world. Um, And so, and as part of the listening and spoken language and the AV track, you really learn about behavioral intervention. And that's how I learned of love and logic to begin with. That was, that was Mm -hmm. one of the components, right. That we have to, to learn um, in the AV track. And so when I moved here, love and logic is actually based out of Colorado. Um, And it really talks about um, setting limits, right. In a loving way. And then helping our kids to kind of become problem solvers. So when a problem is caused, right, or when the child causes a problem, you're helping them to figure out how can they um, be the one to solve it or to get themselves out of it. Um, But by setting those limits early on, um, they're learning that you're going to be consistent in their boundaries and Um, a kid's job is to figure out where are those boundaries, right? Where am I supposed to um, bump up against and are you going to hold me accountable? So um, I started offering classes probably 10 years ago now, maybe a little bit longer ago. Um, And I think that was before I began teaching up at CU and it kind of filled the need for me because I do enjoy teaching a lot. But it was kind of true to my heart as a parent of twins, um, how you're just not sure how how you're going to manage this, right? And so um, using it in our household, but then also in therapy sessions and helping mm-hmm. the families that you're working with learn, how can we up the possibility of you enjoying being a parent and less of the control battles? Um, how can we just help give you some more tools in your tool belt? Um, right. Yeah. And I've seen you present on this. So this is, you know, you, you do a wonderful job 
presenting what love and logic is. And that was a great explanation. Thank and you. Do, do you, so do you have parents who have heard of it and are coming saying, this is what I, we want a, more training on? Right. Um, you know, sometimes I'll consult, right. If they have a specific mm-hmm. question, but for the most part, as I'm working with families, and especially in early intervention, but um, with my other families, because behavior tends to be a huge impact always, right? It's not an, if it's going to be an impact, it's a when. And so it's kind of like having an idea of where you're going, even if this might not be whatever in the class that we're presenting may not be your issue right now, it is coming down the pipe. And so how am I going to address it as it comes? And do you feel confident and like, okay, right, sure, this all kind of boils down to, I'm trying to replace this frustration with empathy, right? Because we all have that need to be heard. And, you know, if, if you, I don't know, um, run into the curb, and you mess up your car, it's a lot more effective if somebody's like, oh, that stinks, right? As opposed to, I can't believe you did that. You shouldn't even have a driver's license, right? (laughs) Um, Right. Um, which, so trying to like start with that empathy, right. And then Mm -hmm. really have simple actions and realize for families too, there doesn't have to be a lot of language with our little kids. And, um, I think we oftentimes as a culture think that we don't have to worry about it until they're a lot older. And really you can start molding this very young nine months when they start throwing things off of their tray, having a very consistent (laughs) a very consistent Mm -hmm. outcome of like, oh, that's sad. Looks like you're all done and removing them. Right. Right. Um, And kind of just helping them know that there are boundaries, even at nine and 10 months that we have the same reaction that is not angry and intimidating, but lovingly you will have the same outcome. Right. Um, And kind of giving those limits that what can we enforce? And so talking with parents, you know, let's see if this is, there's a lot of power struggles. How can we take that away a little bit? Can you give them some control in areas that you don't really care about so much? Like, I don't mind Mm -hmm. if you sit in this chair or this other higher chair that I have, which one do you want? Because we all have the desire to have some control. And so kind of walking through what are some of the elements that Um, You really can control as a parent. You can't make your child talk. You can't make them potty train. You can't make them eat. You can say, I'm happy to provide, um, you know, like ice cream for kids who eat their healthy foods, or I'm happy to take kids to the park who have put their things away. So kind Mm -hmm. of learning, how can I change the way that I'm interacting to help my, my kids have the outcome that is going to be a lot better for them in the long run. And so if, if other professionals want to get training in Lemon Lodge, you mentioned there's online training. Uh, are they still doing sort of the in-person workshops and trainings there? You know, I don't know if they picked that up since since COVID, right? COVID. It went online. But yes, they were doing, they, they usually do a big um, training in the summer up in, it's oftentimes in Beaver Creek, I think. So it's a gorgeous place to go. Um, but when I moved here, I went through the facilitators training so that I could teach um, or mm-hmm. facilitate the classes. Um, and they still are offering those um, as far as I know as well. Yes. And there's a few different curriculums, right? Like there's the 
um, six to 12 year old range, which is the mm-hmm. raising responsible kids and the love and lo- parenting, the love and logic way. And then there's um, parenting the, for early years, and that's for birth to six. Um, right. And then they have a newer one out now that's for children um, with special needs mm. um, and kind of talking about how is this going to be a little different? And then they have another one, too, that's for trauma children. So or for children who have been through trauma, excuse through trauma. me, yeah. um, because it is, you know, you know, your child the best. And that's where I always come back to sometimes um, maybe the scenarios or the examples that they said or the things that they're encouraging. If it's really hard for you as a parent, if you don't feel like it jives with you, you know, your child and your family best. So we're really working to give you tools that will work in your life that will make it a better relationship because, um, you know, love and logic kind of talks about these are your kids are going to be the ones who are picking out your nursing home. So (laughs) (laughs) very true. but, but was it one of the founders of Love and Logic from South Carolina or um, University of South Carolina? Right. I think it was. I think it was um, Charles Fay, right, who came, right. who yeah. went to the University of South Carolina. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. all roads lead through Columbia. So That's right. right. <laughs> Going back. <laughs> um, so um, I'm you you with your practice, how um, or I should say. What are some some things you like to use when you're working with families and kids? So obviously, love and logic, those materials for behavior management and those uh, techniques and strategies. Beyond that, in terms of just more listening and spoken language, what are some of your go to kinds of materials and resources that you you go to? (laughs) So I think that I do use kind of a compilation of a lot of things. The Hearing First website has been wonderful. Um, The Listen Foundation has a great website, too. Um, And then, you know, I think that I'll pull from um, just some different uh, backgrounds, I guess, and then talk to them about, like, what are the timelines? What are we looking at and thinking about stages instead of ages per se, but where, again, kind of mm-hmm. where are you going? What's the expectations for the next step in um, development for your child and kind of developing that whole child? So looking for um, timelines, but more of expected developmental milestones, right? Of what are the next steps that that we want to encourage, Um, And a lot of those can be found on the Hearing First website or through Mm -hmm. um, AJ Bell. And so I do use a lot of of that or sometimes actually I use quite a bit, too, from the cochlear implant websites as well, depending on what the family is, where they're needing some materials to, whether it's showing a video, sometimes it's um, putting on uh, what's an example of what the hearing loss might sound like and how does that sound different um, with conversation versus versus music versus background noise Um, or showing videos sometimes too on what does an FM system really sound like? Um, Because I think those can be really powerful. So it's not in every session that I'm pulling those, but sometimes just laying the foundation and helping bring families alongside of, do you, do you understand where we're going and mm-hmm. um, what your child has access to and how can we improve it? Right. Well, those are 
great ways of, of, of getting the parents to understand those, you know, where you're going. Cause I think <clears throat> um, I had a conversation just the other day, a, a professional was talking to me about, um, you know, basically compliance, you know, and issues. And, and I said, well, I said, what did you have? Like, a, did you set some expectations when you first started working with the family? And they kind of sort of him and hawed and yeah, well, yeah, kind of, yeah. I said, well, there, there you go right there. You just answered your own question. Uh, in the beginning, in those first couple of sessions, you need to set the expectation of what is going to happen. Where do they want to go? And this is how you're going to get there. And this is what it's going to take to get there. And you, you keep reinforcing that. You know, if you're kind of wishy-washy on that, and then, you know, it's not really impressed upon them that they need to keep the hearing aids on or they need to do whatever you want them to follow through on. And then you're going to see those lack of compliance kinds of issues. I said, you have to set those, those goals. You have to set those expectations really early and really hold their feet to the fire. Right. You know, and so, uh, and most families do comply. Most families do want to do those things. They want to help their child, you know, and then you have other families that have other circumstances or other points of view. And I said, if you, but if you uh, keep bringing it back to what they have said they want for their child and you lay out what it takes to get there, then that's what they've agreed to. Now, if they've changed their mind, then they can go maybe see someone else or go get another approach. Right. Um, but, but yeah, if this think- is what you're thinking, then how do we get there? And sometimes mm-hmm. like looking at those data logs or I've been really mm-hmm. impressed with the with the leaner recordings, right? That you can right. do and mm-hmm. really look at the background noise. And sometimes that can be such a huge spring springboard for those families to see because you can say, look, you're using so many great words. Mm-hmm. But then when we look at the distance, right? Or you look at the background noise, you're doing the really hard part of talking so much and narrating and talking Mm -hmm. about strategies. But I'm concerned that maybe they're not able to hear all of those great words. So what can we do now to make it better? Right? What can we do to so you're doing part of it that can really, I think that helping them see the positives that they're doing and be able to build on it can be so empowering for families, right? That right. You, you can do this. You're already doing part of it or like, this is where we are. Let's do it again in a few months. Um, and so if they're, if their data logs are showing that they're wearing their hearing aids four to six hours a day, let's push mm-hmm. that. Let's get to eight to nine hours a day. Right. Or, or what's your, what is your, um, what's your routine for putting them in? How can we get them in sooner? Can we move them into the bedroom instead of where the baby is instead of in the kitchen? Because we all know what happens. You know, somebody has um, an emergency or a blowout and it ends up other things happen and the hearing aids don't get put on for two hours. And so Mm -hmm. if it's first things on last things off and you start that great. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think kind of talking through those scenarios with families um, where they almost come up with how do you think we could we could help you be more successful with this right Um, it's it's letting them reflect on the situation and help problem solve right exactly but 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 i like the idea of focusing on what is working well and that's goes into some of the stuff i've i've 
read about is the sort of the appreciative inquiry approach on if you've heard of AI. Sure. Um, and it's sort of, you know, part of that positive psychology aspect of, of psychology you know, or positive psychology. Focus on what's working well and how do we replicate that? Um, and if we keep doing that over and over again, then the the negative stuff starts to fall away. And For so that's sure. that's sort of an, uh, a real simplified ex- explanation of what appreciative inquiry is. But, you know, you can see how that is going to work better with families. And I kind of use it with my grad students, too. I say, OK, let's focus <laughs> on what you did really, really well and uh, keep building those skills. And then all this other stuff, let's not <laughs> talk about that. I mean, they know that it's probably not what they wanted to do or should have done. And then we're going to focus over here. Um, right. Uh, and I think and sometimes too, when good. you, when you lead with the positive, right, what they're doing mm-hmm. or what are you, we all feel that way. Like, cool. Mm-hmm. I've got this part down. Now I do have the energy to go into attacking the next thing, right? You can almost right. do that with anything. All right. With sure. whether it's exercise or eating well, or, you know, making connections yeah. with families, um, yeah, I think that taking the positive and running with it and trying to build in more is really the way that you love what you do, right? Where you get sure, to sure. Keep doing and, it. and even, I mean, it's it's a simple thing for for some of my grad students. I said, you know, even you know, teaching them the the idea that success breeds more success. And I and I say, you know, if the child you're working with feels that they can do something and feeling successful doing it, they're more likely to do it again. Right. <laughs> so let's break that down. And a lot of, even if that's an Arctic kind of goal, or if it's a language goal or listening goal, or, and so then you expand that to families and parents you're working with. If they feel like they can do it, they'll do it again. Right. And if they feel like they can do it well, mm-hmm. right, then they want to keep doing it. Um, right. But I think that's the case with, with like kids and families alike and giving them a little bit, what's the next step? What's the next thing you did Mm -hmm. that? Awesome. How did it feel? What's, what do you think you could do? And kind of helping the parents problem solve. How can we make it a little bit more challenging now? Because Mm -hmm. they've totally mastered that they're doing it great. So what do you think would work in, you know, in your scenario at home, how can you make it a little more challenging so that they're still successful? Or if it's too challenging, how do we make it so that it's not so challenging? Right. Um, Right. Awesome. Yeah. This is a good discussion. I wish all my students could hear it too. So I'm going to, I may make them listen to the podcast. Um, so speaking of students and, and new graduates and, and people maybe starting off in this uh, area of their field of listening and spoken language, what advice would you give them? You know, I think, and I do say this when I, when I'm teaching um, at the beginning of, I feel so blessed to have the field that, that I'm in, right. I'm so thankful. And, you know, there are hard times for sure in any job, but wherever you find the passion, the excitement, the ability to keep learning and to help others grow, and it may not be in the listening and spoken language realm, but if it is, even if you can help one or two families kind of get that excitement of like, oh my goodness, look what you can do. Look what you get to do. 
Um, look at how much fun this can be. And it's kind of that aha of, I did you see that they heard that and that they actually mm-hmm. responded? Um, so I think following that passion and yes, there's a lot to learn, you know, you know, better than anybody that listening in spoken language is not the easiest path by any means, but it can have some of the most amazing outcomes. And we see this in our college students that were our kiddos that we worked with years ago, right? They're Mm -hmm. getting master's degrees. They're going on and just lighting the world on fire. So Mm -hmm. you get the opportunity to walk alongside families for this journey. And sometimes it's such a short journey, but it's so exciting to get to watch them take flight and just take those baby steps and keep going. Um, So I think it's so fun. It really has been such a, I'm I'm so thankful to have the field, right. And to be able Mm -hmm. to be continually growing and learning and being able to employ what you're learning to see it get better and better. So get excited because you have such a fun path ahead. That's filled with lots to learn, but lots of, amazing things to get to walk alongside families and see them experience and grow into. Well, that is great advice. And, and certainly has, certainly has described my feeling all, you know, past 30 years or so of, of in and out of all of this. Um, so how can people get in touch with you and, and maybe interact? Um, Sure. So I do have a website and email address. So you can go to www.listeningforlife.com or email me at joanna at listeningforlife.net. .com. Sorry. It's .com. I'm wrong. It's .com. .com. (laughs) Joanna at listeningforlife.com. Well, it's been a joy talking to you. So thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you, Todd. It was great to catch up with you again. Wonderful to see you as always. Um, And thankful for all you do um, in our world, too, in this community. Thank you. It's always great talking with Joanna, and I wish her continued success with her private practice and everything she's doing out in Colorado. And thank you for listening to today's episode. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new subscribers and to be able to share this podcast with more people. And with that, thank you again for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode. And until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 